You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Well, we are starting um, a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And so over the next number of weeks, we're going to investigate each one of them and learn how to access them. And I have got a lot of ground to cover this morning, and I'm going to sort of buzz through some of it because um, I, I want really to pastor you this morning in the sense that I don't want to just give you information. I want to try to identify a transformational process that really is available to every believer. And um, you're going to understand um, what I mean as we, as we move right along. But there are things that if we don't understand about the Lord and about our faith and about being a believer, we'll have a whole lot of trouble manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And um, so in Galatians 5.22, Paul, the great apostle, I love Paul. I don't understand everything he says, but I sure do admire him. But... Um, he writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, which can be generosity, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, which is another word for humility, and self-control. And so Paul identifies nine fruit of the Spirit, but you can look at it from another perspective um, and I think that's always um, interesting to do is to see the many faceted aspects of what the Bible teaches and tells us. But you could actually look at the last eight of the nine fruit as attributes or characteristics of the very first fruit, which is love. And um, one translation actually does that. It reads that same Galatians 5 passage. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Um. So love plus the eight following fruit could actually comprise the fullness of love expressed. You don't have to necessarily endorse that idea, but I think it's a real good one. I think it opens us up to more of the love of God in its, in its, in its uh, various aspects and demonstrations. Well, part of what we've been emphasizing here at the church is spiritual formation. Uh, we believe believers should grow in Jesus that we should manifest the fruit of the Spirit. We believe every believer should be making progress from just being forgiven to becoming Christ-like, to bearing the fruit of the Spirit. I can remember in my younger days reading a book by Watchman Nee called The Normal Christian Life. I don't know if any of you have read that, but if you haven't, you should. And he identified the normal Christian life as Jesus. That would be the whole idea of the gospel, to be like Jesus. Um, as we look at what it is to be part of a church, um, 
some of our guys have talked about this. We've, we've talked to other pastors and we have come down with sort of five basics that we ought to consider this morning. Here's the first one. You can be like Jesus. Why don't we say that together? Now, if you really got the message, you would have said, I, but it's always this other guy, right? (laughs) I can be like Jesus. That's the first one. You can be like Jesus. The second one is church leaders are here to help you do that. Believe it or not. Number three, grace is not just for forgiveness, but to help you be like Jesus. Number four, something Christopher has been talking about lately is Jesus is a real person. How many of you, when you pray, you sort of just pray, but you don't really lock into the fact that you're talking to a person? Jesus is a real person who will help you become like him by living within you. And the last one is the church should expect people to be like Jesus. We sort of expect them to not be like Jesus. But that really isn't what the gospel is all about. The strength and power of the gospel is that it's transformative. And until it's transformative, um, there's more to it than, than we're embracing. So Jesus also described the life we should demonstrate in the world by saying, By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have what? Love. One for another. Or love for one another. By this... All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I think over the last number of years, a lot of Christians have lost sight of that. They would rather shout and scream and rail and carry on and act a fool. (laughs) If that's not redneck, go find something that is. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, People, there's this false concept that cynicism is, is spirituality And maturity has the right to criticize and condemn other people. Well, you don't. You don't have that right. Actually, the Bible says you will be judged to the degree that you judge others. The Bible actually says you that judge do the same. If you want to know what your problems really are, um, go find somebody that you're upset with because of their behavior, and you'll get a good idea of who you are. And if that's not ouch, you can't find ouch. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I know this is going to be hard, and I'm not joking, but some of the things that are difficult are the things that make the difference. You understand what I'm saying? You will maybe here. Um, Having spiritual power and being powerful is important, but the litmus test of our faith in action is this, that we love people, that we love people. That we love people. And loving people means you care about them. And you act out what you really do have going on inside of you. Um, I like this, another translation of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says, God's spirit makes us loving, happy, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. You want me to read that again? This is what you're supposed to be being made. Is anybody convicted yet? Raise your hand if you're... Come on, look at that. All right. Got some wicked people up in here. (laughs) 
God's Spirit makes us loving, happy, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. Man, I've got like three of those working in like 30% zone there, but uh, that's, that's not true. I'm, I'm doing better than that, but I've got to be humble, so. Um, now, one thing we need to look at, and we're not going to look at this in depth because this is the negative part of it all, but there is that which is called the works of the flesh or sinful behavior. And Paul warned people about this. And he said, actually, a few verses before he lists the fruit of the Spirit, he says this. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which Paul said, I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let it just be declared this morning that behaving in those ways can cost you way more than you want to pay. Not, not simply out of judgment, but out of um, what comes from living that way in your life, in your family, in your relationships, in your health. And as I was reading through that, I could guarantee you there are only three of those, maybe four that I've never done personally. And that's a long list of very sorry behavior. Can I be honest this morning? Is that going to scare anybody too bad? Just a few. Okay. But you're going to see why it's so important to identify what you're like apart from the grace of God. Because when you understand how to do that, you can access the grace of God. And so I could say there are three ways we can experience the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what I really want to get into. Because just to announce all this information really um, doesn't help us access um, the life of God. But I'm just going to list three little simple general ways that you experience the fruit of the Spirit. The first one is you need to have the right spiritual foundation. I'll talk about that in a minute. The second one is we need to understand the relationship between grace and truth. The third one is we should pray. We should ask specifically for the Holy Spirit to give us the fruit of the Spirit, both for ourselves and for others. Actually, if you read some of the way Paul writes, he writes in Colossians, and I don't know if we can get into it in any depth today because I've got a lot of things on cover, but in Colossians, he actually says you can experience the fruit of the Spirit by praying for others to experience the fruit of the Spirit and being thankful to God the Father, who he says has made us um, qualified 
The marvel of the gospel is we don't have to qualify ourselves. No matter what state you're in, the gospel tells us God has already qualified us for everything we need to receive if we can see it. That's just basic gospel. The goodness, the grace of God. Um, you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man boast. So, you need to have the proper spiritual foundation. What is that? You need to know God loves you. Not generally, personally. And when you know God loves you, you love him. When you don't think God loves you, you don't love him and probably nobody else much. Maybe some folks over there in the trees. Huh? <laughs> you need to know God loves you. Well, how? if you don't know, how can you? Ask him to show you. I don't know. There's no trick. There's no gimmick. I can't give you seven ways to the six methods of how to be holy. But I can tell you he wants to show you. First John 4.19, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Loving God is a consequence of knowing you are loved. You don't grow up just loving God. You might love religion. You might love the idea that you love God. But honest to goodness, you can't love God till you know he loves you. That's what religion does. It, it messes everything up. But you need a revelation of God as of our Father, and He's not just our Father, He's a good Father. And when we, that is in work, when that's at play, you will begin to live from the place of being accepted instead of striving for acceptance. And I, I've got days to talk about what striving for acceptance looks like, but it's just a terrible way to live. Because even God's against you when you try to earn what he will only give away freely. Now, that's a thought. But we need to live from acceptance, not strive for it. I think Alan Platt was saying it's receiving, not achieving. That's what, that's, that's what we do to live the Christian life is we receive. Everything's been given. But we have to access it in, in reality. And I want to talk a little bit about how, how you do that. But when you strive for acceptance, that's legalism. And legalism destroys. Legalism doesn't destroy the grace of God. Nothing can destroy the grace of God. But it can destroy the effectiveness of the grace of God in your life. Because your attitudes and actions and heart conditions seal off the very essence of what God is anxiously wanting to do for you. Um. The second thing, understanding grace and truth. I want to talk about the relationship between grace and truth. John chapter 1, there's a comparison between Moses and Jesus. For the law was given through Moses, but what came through Jesus Christ? Grace and truth. I have a concept. Law's one thing. Grace and truth is one thing. Law's one thing. Well, grace and truth is two things. It's two words. It's got an and in the middle. I know, but it's one thing. It's just hard to describe. Well, what do you mean? Well, if there's not a truth element, whatever it is you believe about God has to have grace or it's not really the complete truth. But if you have the kind of grace 
that doesn't have a truth component, that's not real grace either. Both elements, not just one. Then there are those truth people that will beat you half to death with the Bible. Then there are those grace people who won't do an honest day's work if their life depended on it. And they're just liars and scoundrels that go to church. My goodness, I'm feeling feisty. But before we look any further at that, I want us to consider this idea. Hey, I'm in good shape time-wise. We, we'd be home by four. I want to consider this. God is to me what I am not. Let's say that together. God is to me what I am not. God calls himself the great I am, right? That's a great thing to think about. This self-existent, eternal one. So I want us to think about that. God is to me what I am not. What are, what are you talking about, Robert? Good question. I had a spiritual mentor named Arthur Burt. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but he was a tremendous influence on my life. Very spiritual man, very practical man, very honest man. But that's what he used to say to me, and then he would share with me that God is for us what we aren't. And what he meant was that as we face more and more of our weaknesses, failures, or needs, we can understand that God will be those things to us. The things we failed, the need we had. God will be what we aren't. See, one of the problems with a lot of Christians is once they fail, they're done. But the truth is, once you fail, you're just getting started because you were on the wrong foundation anyway. You need a really good failure to get your heart right with God. Amen. Now, I'm not suggesting you go have one, but if you have had one, I'm the man with good news. But Arthur got that idea not just from life experience, but from the Scripture. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. I think we've got this verse on an overhead. Somebody help me read that first verse, and then I'll do the rest myself. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So Paul is writing about every, the, the basis for every believer's calling in Christ. And he says this, there are not many wise. There are not many mighty. There are not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things, insignificant or lowly things of the world. And the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. I like that verse. And the things which are not. How many of you have ever recognized in a situation that you're lacking? That you are not what you should be? A lot of you probably don't know this, but there was a move of the spirit that started in Canada where the power of God came, touched so many lives, healed so many people, saved so many people, refreshed so many people, inspired missions all around the world. 
And the pastors were the Arnots. And that to me was a prophetic picture. That's who God will visit. He will visit those who... And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, what that means is so that no one can brag about their own unique ability, power, or success, since it all comes from God. Verse 30. But of him are you in Christ Jesus. Do we still have that? Verse 30 overhead there. Next four words. Read those. Who became for us. God is to me what I am not. Who became for us. Wherever you fail, wherever you're sinful, wherever you don't have enough, God wants to be that for you. He became that for us. What? Wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, you will find within those words any and everything you could ever possibly need to live this life. That it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now, some of this is hard. This is not the, the normal way to think. How many of you are aware of that? This is not, no, the world thinks... Um, you don't admit your weaknesses because if you admit your, admit your weaknesses, you'll look weak. You'll be weak. No, you fake it till you make it. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is God says, I chose you as a weak person to demonstrate through you my strength. Amen. So quit faking. Own it. We're going to talk about owning it. God didn't call us because he was looking for noble, fine, righteous people, full of strength, full of wisdom, full of natural ability. He called us to demonstrate through us. Demonstrate through us. He became for us. Demonstrate through us all those attributes. He's willing to give us and demonstrate through us in a way that we give glory to God, that God gets praise from our lives for the mercy and the grace that he invests in us. Have you considered that God called you, that God chose you because you were weak, because you were needy? Have you ever thought about that? See, the very things we despise are probably the very reasons God picked us. Maybe you feel insignificant or lowly. Well, that's okay. Maybe you actually are. Well, that's okay. That's not a problem to God. It's a problem to us because we don't think straight and we don't access what we can. But he wants to supply us with what we lack. He has already become your wisdom, your strength, your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your long-suffering, your goodness, your faithfulness, even self-control. And Oh, my goodness, I can't even hardly believe that myself. But that's what Paul meant when he said in verse 30, but of him are you in Christ Jesus who became for us. He became for us everything we need by putting us in Christ. I had to prove that this morning. I'm terrible, terribly weak. I could fall out of this chair this morning and just go back to bed. 
I haven't slept well in three nights. I've got a cold. My wife's got a cold. If we had a dog, he'd probably have a cold. I didn't want to come this morning because I don't feel good. And the Lord said, well, do you understand what's going on? (laughs) He's proving the point. I have to depend on someone else's strength. Someone else's strength. Let's say this again. God is to me what I am not. That's great. That's great. That's what Paul meant when he said, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Paul had completely given up on himself. Paul had thrown in the towel. He said, I'm a dead man. The only way I'm making it is with the one who's living in me. Paul had completely given up on himself, on his abilities, on his anything. He was dependent on Christ Jesus for everything. I call this the upside-down ways of God. And this insight can be challenging to walk in because it reveals the, 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 how off we are in our thinking about the way God wants us to live. He says you live by dying. You lead by serving, you receive by giving. I like that. We don't talk about money here a lot, but let me tell you something. I felt a couple of weeks ago the Lord wanted me to give away some money. Yeah, I'm talking about money. Yeah, you don't like it. Well, I don't care. I'm talking about money. Because this is, this is, Bible talks about money. Now, we're not broke. I'm, but listen, there's something that goes on. I remember years ago, we started a church. The kids um, were, were little, and our church was going to work or we're going to lose our house. You ever been there? Ever been there? That's what I understand about faith and what I've understood about giving. I told my wife, I said, we're going to tithe even if we can't pay our house payment. Now, do I recommend that? No. No, I don't recommend that. But I did it to prove God. Either he called me or he didn't call me. Either I can trust him or I can't trust him. And if I made a mistake, I'll lose my house and learn a lesson. And it'll be awesome and we'll move across the street and live with the hussies. <laughs> so I told Donna, I said, oh, you know that couple, they're having trouble. They got cancer and they want a treatment. Let's give them $500. So we gave them $500. You know, since we gave them $500, strange things have happened to me. First of all, is someone paid $250 for one of my paintings. Now, here's the problem. I'm not an artist. (laughs) I had painted two things, and I threw them on Facebook to see what the crazies would say about it. And sure enough, they showed up. And then one of them... Bought it for $250, lives up in Michigan. She's not a crazy. She's a very intelligent person. And then someone sent me a $500 check and said, hey, I saw your painting. That's good. I said, oh. And then somebody gave us $1,500 vacation trip. Now, here's the problem. It doesn't always work that way. Cast your bread upon the water, and it will return unto you in many days. 
That means by the time it comes back, you may not even connect what you did and what you got. But Paul talks about that. He talks about sowing and reaping and uh, sowing and reaping. And he, he basically says, if you put a few seeds in the ground, you just get a few crops. But if you put a bunch of seeds in the ground, you get a bunch of crops. And if your heart's right, God might even send extra rain and you could get a hundred times more than what you put in instead of just 10 or 20. Now that's the Bible and I don't care what people have to say about prosperity critically. There's a truth to it every bit as much as there's a truth uh, about all the other kind of stuff. So come on. Come on. You got to prove God. How much do you trust him? Really trust him. There's a difference in trusting him and saying you trust him. Have you realized that? If you say you trust him, he's going to stick you over there and you're going to have to trust him spot. And then you will find out what you were blabbering about or if you really had it. And if you didn't really have it, you find out and you humble yourself and then he'll do it again. And you'll go through the next thing. So you live by dying, you lead by serving, you receive by giving, you win by losing, you rise by bowing. When enemies hate you, you love them. You excel by acknowledging your weaknesses and allowing God to fill with his spirit. That's the Jesus way. That is. That's what it is to be a Christian. It's upside down. It doesn't work the way the natural mind thinks it should. We have things to learn. And Jesus himself lived that way. He being in the form of God, did not consider it a thing to be grasped, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. How many people are out there making themselves of no... He didn't say he made himself of a bad reputation, but he didn't make himself... He made himself of a no reputation. He emptied himself. He was a servant. And he humbled himself became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. But the death of the cross was not the end of it. And this is what we have to keep in mind as we process life. Because he died, God highly exalted him. See, that's the reality about being humble. You humble yourself, God will exalt you. You exalt yourself, you mess up. Number three, we should pray. I'm not going to read all that, but I'm going to read this because I need to get to the juicy stuff. We should pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Let's pray that. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Matthew 7, 11 and Luke eleven thirteen are the same verses, but they say something differently because I'm going to read both of them. Jesus said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Those three words, how much more? How many of you gave your kids more than you should have given them for Christmas this year? So you gave good gifts to your children. You went overboard. How much more? How much more, it says. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who do what? Ask him. Ask him. Oh, well, I'm being selfish. Well, ask him anyway. You have not because you ask not. But in Luke eleven thirteen, it reads this way. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? I love that. Say that with me. How much more? Not how more, but how much more. Not just much more. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
The good thing's not a good thing. It's the best. It's the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, <laughs> back to grace and truth. Arthur used to say grace and truth are married. And when we own the truth about ourselves, we discover and experience the grace of God in our hearts. Now, this is a transformational concept. We own to disown. We own to, say that with me, own to disown. So we got two phrases this morning you can take home with you. God is to me what I am not, and we own to disown. Now, years ago, I'm going to sort of open myself up to criticism here. Years ago, I lived in a Christian community. Actually, we have some people here that, that, that uh, grew up there. My kids grew up there. And, um, man, it was a Charles Dickinson epic if there ever was. It was the best of times and the worst of times. And we lived with, I don't know how many other people. And it wasn't, it wasn't a commune, but you could see a commune from what we were doing. But we were tight. And it was the same piece of land. And we lived together in different houses. And then we, almost all of us had singles living with us. And my goodness, you find out who you are in a hurry. It was not heaven on earth. All these people that say, hey, we need to buy some land and go out and... No, you don't. You really don't. You wish you hadn't when it's over. <laughs> but have at it, whatever it takes. Well, um, man, the Lord dealt with me in so many ways. But one of them was uh, I hated this guy that was there. Yeah, I really hated this guy. And I can remember this like it happened yesterday almost. We were playing volleyball, and he was on the other team, and I was thinking, I'm just going to punch him. I'm just going to haul off and punch him. I'm going to attack him physically because I really hate this guy. Now, you know, hatred's over there in the works of the flesh. You won't inherit the kingdom, right? So I was thinking, I'm, I'm in trouble here, but I really do hate him. And the craziest thing happened. And it makes no sense. When I recognized that I really hated this guy and I didn't know how to stop. But when I looked to the Lord, suddenly it disintegrated and went away. And I had love in my heart for him. And, and that was wonderful and terribly frustrating. Because I thought, I don't understand how this works. I hate this guy. I'm honest about hating this guy. And, and when I'm owning the fact that this is who I am at this point, it suddenly goes away. You own to disown, ladies and gentlemen. God is to me what I am not. What I was not was loving. But, but this doesn't transform you until you take to heart and own who you are. Now, pride is the enemy. 
Pride is the enemy. Sin is not really the enemy, although it has to be dealt with. Jesus died, but in the final analysis, if Jesus died, why is not every single person automatically a Christian? It's because there's a process. You humble yourself. Grace and truth. Very. Uh, who basically goes through a salvation process? Sinners. Sin and grace. Truth and grace married together. Own to disown. Yeah, I hated that guy. I like him now. But I did want to punch him. And I was so shocked. And that was not the only time something happened to me like that. Another time, I worked um, 20 years in the restaurant equipment business. And when I was young in that business, um, have, have any of you ever had like a nagging thought or sort of an accusation creeping around at you? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody? 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 Okay. Well, I had one of those. And here's what that thought said. You think you're better than these people. Well, I knew better than that. You're not good if you think that. See, that's our problem. We act like what we should be because we know what we think we should be. And if we aren't that, we don't like it, so we act like we are. Did you follow that? Yes, yes, yes. But you're not. But you can't get free because your pride won't let you admit. And that thing worked on me for a week. I couldn't get rid of it. And I didn't know if it was the devil or the Lord or uh, Martin Luther or one of the great apostles of the Greek church. I didn't, I, I, but it was hurting. And finally I said, oh, Lord, help me with this. And he said, well, um, why do you criticize everybody if you don't think you're better than they are? And I went, oh, yeah, I do think I'm better than these people. And, and next thing I knew, I didn't have that problem anymore. And I'm going, this doesn't make any sense. You actually own up to how horrible you are and you start changing. You actually own who you are so that you can disown and transform. Yes. Yes. One short thing and I think I'm done. Uh Uh-oh. Two short things. Here's another phrase. Take the blame or do it again. I'm not even going to cover that. You just go home and wrestle with it a while. But as I was asking the Lord this morning about this message, I felt like he, um, or the phrase that came to me, I'm not saying, it's some kind of a communication from the Lord. It was, The rooster crowed. I thought the rooster crowed. And I thought, oh yeah, Peter, Simon Peter. See, Peter proved this. He promised Jesus, no matter what happens, I am in. He actually said, even if all these other people forsake you, I won't. And Jesus said, you will. Not only will you, you will embarrass yourself three times. 
and you will do it before the cock crows. And he did. You know why he didn't have grace for that deficiency in his character? Because he wouldn't have the truth that he was not the man he thought he was. But if he had agreed with the Lord, he wouldn't have had to prove what the Lord was telling him. But he did have to prove it because he didn't agree. He took credit for his own character instead of understanding that the grace of God is that which makes us all the wonderful things we ever want to be or hope to be. So, God is to me what I am not, own to disown. Peter didn't take the blame. He didn't take responsibility for he had to do it. Take the blame or do it again. God wants to use our weakness. Paul actually said, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. What did he mean? He meant the kind of strength we're supposed to live from can only come when we understand how truly weak we really are. And when we understand how truly weak we really are, God will give us strength and we will thank him and glorify him for who he is, how much he loves us, how much he cares. Amen. Hey, that's really good. I'm sorry you're not feeling great, Dad. I hate to think you might have gotten the cold from me. <laughs> but I hate to think a lot of things, though. Uh, give it up for uh, Robin McMillan, my dad. That's great. We're, um, I'm pretty sure he mentioned this already, but we're starting a series on the fruit of the Spirit here at the beginning of 2023. And I was <laughs> supposed to do this message this morning, and then I got the flu. And my dad graciously called me. I, I didn't even know if I was even going to be able to talk this morning, like physically. And so he, he, uh, he called me and said, hey, maybe he should open it up. Because <laughs> I don't know what you're going to get from me today. But that was really great. So I'm, I'm glad you did it, honestly, because that was wonderful. I had a couple of thoughts while he was speaking that I want to share. Just very short. That it, maybe I want to leave you with. <clears throat> that go along with what he was saying. Um, uh, number one, uh, I just want to reiterate something he said at the beginning. You actually can have a beautiful life in God. Like, you actually can become Christ-like. You actually can have love, joy, peace, patience. You actually can. Ha- that can actually be your life. Right? But that, I, I think one of the most important things for me today is that I, it's important to know that we actually can have a beautiful life in God. And that we can cast a vision for one another. For what it means to have a beautiful life. I'm going to be quick, I promise. I'm not up here to preach. But I just want to leave you this. What if I said that the fruit of the Spirit is the kingdom of God? What if the fruit of the Spirit is the kingdom? What if the fruit is not like what you use to get to the kingdom? What if the fruit is the prosperity? What if the fruit is not the key to your prosperity? What if love, joy, peace, patience 
is. Number two, what if the fruit of the Spirit is what you actually wanted for your life and you didn't know it? I saw this meme recently where um, this mom said that her kids said they can't wait to grow up because they can eat whatever they want. They can sleep in every morning. They can play video games all day and no one's going to tell them what to do. And she said, I couldn't, I I didn't have the heart to break it to them that what they're describing is depression. (laughs) But what if you actually deep inside really did want to grow up in God and didn't know it? What if you really did want to grow up in God? What if you actually don't really want to serve the flesh? What if you didn't, what if, what if, what if, what if you didn't? What if the reality is that you really don't want to serve the flesh? You actually really want love and joy and peace in your life, huh? (laughs) What if I said growing in fruit is a process? I have never met a good musician who felt like they were good enough. And I don't mean that they have issues. I mean, a lot of them do. But I don't mean that they have identity issues. I just have never met a good musician who's like, I don't have to practice anymore. Every good musician I ever met always knew they could mm, just get a little bit better. And they wanted to. Right? Because it's a lifelong process. It's doable, but it's a lifelong process. You're not accepted because of the fruit. The fruit is what happens because you're accepted. And you absolutely can bear fruit in your lifetime. That looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Every apple seed has a billion apples inside of it. And each one of us here today are an an apple seed with billions of apples within us, right? And that's what I hope we're going to talk about and accomplish over this next series that my dad just beautifully opened up for us. Anyway, thanks for listening to me here a minute at the end. I, I, was, I was really sad that I didn't get to do my message this Sunday because I was really excited about it. But I am glad that my dad did such an amazing job. So thanks for letting me come and bring a couple thoughts at the end. I really love you guys. And uh, I'm going to let David Valier close it down for good. All right. Thank you, John Mark. All right, so we just want to let you know that we have prayer teams available as we're closing out the meeting. Um, If you need prayer or a word of encouragement, come to the front, and we'd be happy to pray with you. Everyone else, uh, connect with somebody, take someone out to lunch, slip one of those uh, Pentecostal handshakes, you know, do that whole thing, and uh, we'll have a wonderful time and a wonderful week, and then we'll see you next week. Uh, So bless you guys, and see you next Sunday. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.